Welcome everyone to another episode of More Marketing Ideas with me, Fred Gillen, your host, where you will learn from industry experts based on their life's experiences and business processes. So let's get on with the show. Today I would like to welcome Alan Stevens to the show. Alan is an international profiling and communication specialist, regularly featured on national TV, radio, and in the world's press, profiling the likes of our leading politicians, TV and sports stars, as well as Britain's royalty. He's been referred to by the UK Guardian as the leading authority on reading people globally and the mentalist meets Dr. Phil by the Herald. Alan has worked with international clients, the likes of Disney Films and Gillette, and high-profile organisations like the Australian Federal Police to help them to understand how people tick. Alan works with business owners and executives, helping them to understand and engage their clients and prospects, enhancing their presentations and negotiation skills, and with parents and teachers to help them enhance the abilities of their children to reach their full potential while improving the experience of the parents, teachers and students. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Um, I've just given a brief introduction about you and what you do and whatever else, but obviously the audience would like to learn a little, little bit more. So would you like to just elaborate on, you know, maybe where you grew up, what got you into business, and, and then we can see what we're going to chat about later on. Not a problem. Well, uh, originally uh, born in Sydney. I uh, lived down there most of my li early life until I was uh, 23. Around about the age of uh, 16, I left school and I joined the Postmaster General's Department, the old PMG. And uh, I went into the, um, the technical side of it, not so much the post office, but uh, what later became telecom. Did my training with them and uh, became a technician in training, finished uh, that course and came to Newcastle at the age of 23 when I was sent up here and put in charge of men who were all older than me. So that was my first instance into... Uh, needing to learn how to pe uh, read people, which is what I've been doing uh, these days. So that was my first instance. I got involved in the surf club, became a surf lifesaver, and uh, had a very interesting process going through that, learning and fitting in with everybody else again. And I've been uh, married and divorced twice. When my first wife left, I had three sons to raise, mostly on my own. They were 4, 11, and 12. So I've... Um, I uh, came up to uh, Newcastle, stayed here ever since. That was a five-month temporary transfer. And after the first uh, two months, I put a request in for a permanent uh, stop, uh, transfer. And they said, well, why? And I said, lifestyle. You know, you know, I'm close to the beaches. You know, the beaches are over the hill from where I am at the moment by about five minutes. I can walk there in 10, 15. And uh, I'm in a short drive from the uh, vineyards. Why would you want to be in Sydney and caught up in traffic when you can be, have this lifestyle? So I've stayed ever since and uh, enjoyed it here. So when you said like what you're profiling and like we've been in a couple of networking rooms together, so I've got a, a brief understanding of that. But when you um, said you can read people's faces and profile them and whatever, what, what made you move down that path and encourage you to do that? Well, as I said, uh, married uh, uh, and divorced twice was part of that. Uh, a lot of broken relationships, business partners who had emptied the bank out. And uh, I had to learn through, you might call it desperation, survival. And so, because I, you know, as I said, when I was put in charge of the men here who were older than me, 
the first thing I looked at back then, it was back in 75, it was the uh, body language because that was the flavour of the month at that time. Everyone talking about that. So I thought, right, start learning with that. In the 80s, I got involved with psychometric profiling, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Enneagrams, and all those other systems where you ask people uh, questions to work out their personality, their strengths, their weaknesses, and all that sort of thing. And in the 90s, I got involved in NLP. I was involved with a, um, uh, a company that uh, taught uh, how to read and talk to people using NLP. It was a sales and marketing uh, house. I got involved and interested in that. So I did my NLP training. And then from in the early 2000s, uh, I was working with a company that taught currency trading and none of their students made any money. They had a brilliant instructor at the time. He was a, 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 a professional trader and a good instructor, but nobody was making any money. So they brought me in and I used to use uh, psychometric profiling to work somebody's personality out. The problem with those things are that you're asking a lot of questions and depending on how people respond to those depends on the answers you get. And when we started uh, finishing their trading and they went on to live trading where they um, would put their money on the table, they were losing money. And we needed to know why. And we realized that the personality profiles, they were trying to second guess them. How do I have to uh, behave to be a good trader? We go, no, when you're stressed, no matter how you work at doing things differently, you'll always revert back to your own personality. And I needed a better way of doing it. And somebody mentioned to me at a workshop I was doing, had I ever looked at reading faces? Now, I'm a curious character. My belief is the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I know everything. So I did some research and I found uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Ekman who taught all the uh, the micro expressions, how to, uh, he did all the research. He's a psychologist and a professor. And I met a lady who taught the facial features and how to read those and how they represent your personality. All the ridges and crevices that we create on our face by the expressions that we pull over and over again. And so I put those two skills together along with the NLP and the body language that I've done earlier and created rapid trait profiling, which is now uh, uh, regarded as uh, uni uh, unique uh, universally. So no one else on the planet has been doing it. So do you find that uh, when you tell people that you could read their faces and profile them, that they get very nervous? Oh, yeah. When people used to ask me, they'd say, okay, Alan, what do you do for a job? And I say, oh, I clear rooms. And they go, what, you clean rooms? You're a cleaner. I go, no, no, I clear rooms. And they go, what are you talking about? So when people find out what I do, they all run out of the room. But when they find out why and how I do it, they come back and they bring their family, their friends and their colleagues. And I said, because it's about building relationships. But people do. See, if there's four things in profiling I look at. Everybody is suffering or has suffered. Everybody wears a mask. Everybody pretends they're not wearing a mask. And everybody is a sum of all their childhood experiences and rewards. So all of us have things that we don't want other people to know about or we're ashamed of or we're embarrassed by, that we shouldn't be embarrassed by because there's no two personalities on the planet who are the same. Everybody thinks differently. Everybody's uniquely different. And we're worried about how people will see us. There's going to be some people who love us and other people who won't like us because our personalities are so much different to theirs. That's okay. It takes all types to create a, uh, a world. It takes all types to create a proper business. Teams are made from differences, not the same. So when I started realizing that, I realized, okay, I could look at my traits and understand the upsides and the downsides. 
and I could let the uh, uh, the worry about those go and just set my environment up so my upsides are uh, always uh, present and the downsides don't get triggered. And so when I explain that to people, they start to go, oh, I don't need to be embarrassed by my personality or whatever. I go, no, because there's a situation where your personality is going to be the most perfect one that fits into that area. And so you're getting over that initial fear. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a, it, a little bit of a segue on that. Like for me, for example, um, I used to be really nervous about like jumping on videos and stuff, hmm. you know, whereas now I've, and COVID has helped me get over that, obviously, because we're now doing Zooms left, right and center and hmm. we're on camera all the time. But and, and a lot of people are nervous about getting on camera because they, how they look, how they feel, whatever, and what impressions. But when they walk down the street, nobody takes a second look at them. <laughs> so why are, why are people so nervous about projecting their profile on camera? It's part of our uh, makeup. It's you know it's our wiring. It's the way we've been uh, designed, the life that we've lived, the things that we've been through. See, when I first uh, started uh, doing videos, I'm, I'm fine talking in front of people. Originally, I wasn't. I remembered back when I was 16 and I was working at Woolworths in the uh, store and there was a big, um, well, the, the manager was a big burly uh, German you know, bodybuilder. And he asked me to go down to the counter to uh, have a, ch a chat with him before he opened the, um, uh, the store up. And as soon as he spoke to me, I fainted. I was terrified. Yeah, because I thought, why does he want to talk to me? So I was really worried about that. But as time went on, I learned how to stand and talk in front of people. But it was probably about ooh, eight years ago, uh, something like that. The uh, friend uh, or a lady came over from America called Anne Devere. She teaches people how to you know, set up their TV stations on their on their computers and do it on the Internet. And she said to us during the course, OK, everybody, I want you to go and do a Facebook Live. Now, I would get in front of the camera before this and I'd record things. And I knew it always took me multiple takes to get it right. You know? And I'd get towards the end and I'd foul it up. So I'd start it again and I'd do it again. And yep. she said, you've got to do a Facebook Live. And I stepped outside and I, I did the Facebook Live and I came back in the room and she said, oh, how do you feel about that? And I went, can I delete it? She said, no, you've got to leave it up for the night. Well, I had a look at it in the afternoon. It had about 200 uh, views. The next morning I came in and had a look. It was 1,600. Wow. And uh, she said, have you listened to it? And I went, well, I, when I was uh, recording it, no, I didn't. I thought there was big breaks and everything else. I didn't want to go back to it again. Well, I listened to it. It wasn't so bad. But the fact then she said, well, you want to take it off the air now? And I said, it's got 1,600 views. No way in the world. <laughs> it's staying. It's everybody's uh, fearful of things. This is part of our nature. But the thing is, it's taking that challenge and stepping beyond it. If we do that, we'll always move forward. People underestimate themselves. They do it over and over again. We're more powerful and we've got more potential than we give ourselves credit for. So things like Facebook Lives, you can't start it and do it again. Everybody notices it if you do. You've just got to continue going with it. And so many times when we finish it, we have a listen to it. We go, oh, that wasn't so bad. But the voice that was going on while we are recording it, oh, yeah, it's screaming at us going, that's no good or that's no good. You know, you, you miss the timing or whatever it might be. You know, we put too much pressure on ourselves. Yeah, that, that's so true. I mean, I a bit like you, like I've gone back and looked at videos that I've got up on YouTube that I did four or five years ago. And I'm going, geez, I covered that topic well. Hmm. You know, but at the time I'm going, 
bit Mickey Mouse. I don't know whether I did a good job on that, mm. but when I actually go back and review it, I go, yeah, that was good. That was okay. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I come off some of them and I listen to it and I go, oh, God, it sounded like I knew what I was talking about. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing, that, that, and again, like from the rooms we've been in, I've heard you talk about the campfire project. Mm -hmm. right? And you seem very passionate about that. And I really, you know, because of the limited times we've had in, in other Zoom meetings and in other network groups, um, we've had limited time for you to explain a bit about that. So would you like to tell us more about that and how Thank you. Uh, we can help you, you know, get, get more information out there? Yeah, I'd love to. So I believe that, you know, in society, our communities and everything else, we're broken. We've got all this political correctness. We've got all these, everyone's fearful about saying the right thing, doing the right thing that has actually created bigger divisions between us. And I realized that, well, when I'm uh, as a, in my business, talking to men in particular, I knew that uh, men were frustrated about uh, political correctness and gender equality because they thought, we we're always worried about saying the right thing and, or, and not saying the wrong thing. And we focus so much on not saying the wrong thing that we end up say, uh, saying it. We're worried about being misjudged when we're not trying to uh, be smart or anything else or sexist. At the home, well, I'm a baby boomer, I, you know, same as yourself. There's a lot of others out there as well that we were taught to go out and bring in, as men, to go out and bring in the um, resources and look after the family. And we did it really well. You know, we give up our time, we give up the love of the family by being away from the family to bring money back. And that's how we gave the love to, our love to the family. And the men were going, well, we're now being told we're physically and emotionally absent. And I realised that that was causing frustration in both areas. And frustration in some cases was turning to anger. And anger can turn to bullying in the workplace and domestic violence. And I realised that you don't fix a bully by beating the bully up. You understand, you understand them and you'll find out what's going on. You let them know that you understand them as well. And that turns a lot around because most bullies are created. They're not born that way. It's because they were bullied themselves. And this is where I could see this happening to the men in, in the workplace and at home that lost idea of where they really fitted. So I thought, right, we need a safe place for men to be able to come along and tell their stories. So where somebody would just be those ears and mouth, ears and eyes, I should say, without using their mouth to, to tell them what they should be doing and counsel them or criticise them or anything else, but just listen to them, hold their space. But I never wanted it to be a men's group because I believe in we only fix problems when we stand shoulder to shoulder together, and that includes men and women together. But I had women in the group from day one, but I focused on the men telling their stories. Then when the men started opening up and uh, talking about what they'd been through, I then uh, brought them into panel discussions. And that's when we talked about masculinity, uh, femininity, the toxicity of both of those, the uh, drugs, alcohol, all of those different issues that were affecting men and their families and the community. And that was when the women started sending me personal messages saying, we love these guys. We've never heard men talk so deeply about their emotions and so wisely about their, their understanding the situations that were happening in the community. And they said, what can we do? Can we get involved? And I went, I've just been waiting for you to put your hands up. Because originally I just wanted the women, first of all, to know how men could speak when they felt the men felt safe enough to do it. And that's what it actually happened. We've got a community now of over, um, I guess, about 2,300 people in it. It's all over the world. We've had um, almost 500 hours of one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversations and panel discussions. 
about 60% of those have been with men uh, with the one-on-ones and about 40% with the uh, the women doing the one-on-one. And the panel discussions have been men, women, mixed. Uh, the oldest person has been interviewed, 99 years old. The youngest person to uh, run an interview because he wanted to interview his father. He hadn't... Um, uh, didn't have any ideas of what questions he should ask. So we sent him to a couple of websites. He came up with his own questions, 19 questions, held the uh, space for 45 minutes interviewing his father. One of the questions was, why is it dad you can give to everybody else, but you can't receive yourself? And he was nine years old. Wow. So a gap of 90 years between the youngest and the oldest. Every religion, culture, uh, everybody's welcome in there as long as they're respectful to people. We've got all uh, genders. We've had in all those conversations, no bigotry, no sexism, no racism, and not once has anybody been disrespectful to any of that in those conversations. Proving that when you set the um, the agenda and it's a closed group so that the trolls can't get in. And I knew that it's the minorities that really cause the problem when they continually uh, complain about things. It pushes the majority away. And I know that uh, last year, International Men's Day, when it was advertised in um, America, some of the colleges uh, banned it because it was celebrating men. Now, what the people who got it banned don't realise is that they were telling all the men who are doing the right thing that you're wasting your time. And we're seeing it right across the board, even in the United Nations. They have 190 different days old, including those for women, for girls, for um, all different uh, groups. They even have one for Toilet Day and International Toilet Day, but there is not one for men or for boys. And so we're trying to uh, change that because communities, and they keep saying that uh, we, you know, children are raised by um, villages. Well, a village is a community and that makes up both men and women and boys and girls. And until we come together, not pointing the finger at each other, like Me Too and Men Too, absolutely necessary to highlight the problems, but they're never going to be the solution to the problem because they're pointing the fingers all the time. Yeah, It's only when we stand shoulder to shoulder looking at the problem, not pointing fingers, that we can then uh, have uh, respectful conversations on how do we improve the problem, the situations and clear the problems away. Yeah, I'm guessing one of the reasons for like that university, like banning men's day was probably like the stigma of the, the boys clubs and the men's clubs mm. and men only clubs. But like today, you've got women-only clubs, like particularly in the, fit, in the fitness mm. arena. But if if and I, you know, I, I put this out there that I think that if a gym started a men's-only gym, it would have negative connotations. Oh, it'd be like, right through the media. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's kind because of a of the, our, the feelings around gender. And I believe there should be women's groups where the men Absolutely. don't go. I yeah. believe there should be men's groups where the girls don't go because. One of the things that um, happened to me 20 years ago when I was 50, after my second divorce, I started, uh, a few friends taught me into opening up my massage practice again because my second wife was the one who taught me into becoming a massage therapist. Anyway, um, I started getting and attracting terminally ill patients coming to me and some of them were reversing their conditions, which going to Visionary Health is a health store here in Newcastle, getting their tinctures, their medicines, and they were sending them to me for the massage. And they're reversing their conditions and I needed some understanding because I didn't just massage people. I took them through an NLP process first or we talked, we went, looked at what effect, the things that happened in their life and everything else. 
we'd talk about all of that and then I'd put them on the table and massage them with aromatherapy, sound and colour and everything else going on. So it gave them that hour of conversation and then an hour of anchoring that into their physiology, their neurology um, through that process. And some were reversing their conditions and I needed some answers on how does this stuff work? Because I'm a technical minded person. Yeah. Yeah. And so through some chance meetings, met an Aboriginal group. They invited me out bush. I went out on a regular basis for over a year, every weekend. And from that, it was all about the campfire. It was where men sat together and uh, you know, treated each other with respect. And the first test I got that night was uh, the first night I went out was a young 14 year old who I didn't realize at the time had actually been through his rite of passage through the tribal process. And here I am at the age of uh, 48 and uh, I'm still considered a boy by their standards. So they said, he, you know, they pointed to me and said, oh, he's a healer, he'll fix you. I took him aside. I manipulated his leg a little bit. We talked and everything else. Ten minutes later, he's kicking a football in that with that leg. And I'm going, this is bizarre, you know. But I realised it was the elder who told him that I was a healer and I would fix him, that the job was done. Right. So I realised the power of that as well. And I've always worked with the power of the mind and the speech and the things that we say. But I ended up, I was lucky enough to go through initiation myself about a year later. And the only reason I mentioned that is that the process I went through was one where the other men knew about it, but none of us boys. And I'll call myself a boy at that point because I hadn't been through the rite of passage. I, we didn't know about what was going to happen. Anybody who then says, well, I want to know beforehand, you robbed yourself of the experience. There is women's business. I don't want to know about women's business. Yes, I respect and know that it exists. Yeah. But as a man, I have no right to know about it because I haven't earned the right. It's the same thing with the women and the young boys knowing about what's going to happen when they go through their rite of passage. It's a rite of passage. This is where they learn the process and they earn the right to go through that. The women need to respect that and go, okay, we know that there won't be a boy that comes home. It'll be a man. It'll still be my son but he's no longer going to be a boy. He will be a man and the relationship will be different. So yes, cry because you're losing that relationship, but rejoice you're going to have somebody who is on the right path to be a man and not trying to compete and be a B man. Yeah. We look at our sports stars, we look at our politicians, we look at some of our business people. They're trying to be better than everybody else, which is a competition mindset. And to be there, you've got to put other people down. But if you're trying to be a man or you're trying to be a woman, you're trying to be the best version of yourself and who else do you want around you, but others doing the same thing. So now you have a community as opposed to being out there on your own, doing all the wrong things and saying all the wrong things, but you're back here with the community doing the right things. And this is where the men then get vague because those women, same as in the Campfire Project, heard those men speak and went, God, God, we really love and respect these men. These are the men we want to know not the ones who are out there trying to impress everybody with their, you know, their cars, their behavior, their sporting prowess or anything else and being disrespectful to everybody in the process. Yeah. So, and if, if somebody wants to get involved or learn more about the campfire or, or even about your profiling, but if mm. they want to learn more, particularly about the campfire project, uh, how will they find out about that? Well, the best way to find out about the campfire project, is we've got a website in that name. The, it's thecampfireproject.com.au. They go in there, they'll see a couple of short videos that talk about how we do the one, or how the whole process comes together, how we do the one-on-ones, another video for the panel discussions. 
little bit of history about me and also um, Angela Heiser, who is one of the other uh, uh, members in there who runs one-on-ones and panels, and also Scott Carson, who runs the uh, panels and uh, Facebook Lives on a um, Thursday night. And so with uh, now I can go in there. As far as the profiling goes, they can uh, just uh, look for my name, alanstevens.com.au. They'll find the website there. And by the way, if they uh, put up into their browser the, wor- the, the website alanstevens.com.au and the forward slash and the word free, they can download a 28-minute free course that'll give them a few tips on how to read people that they can go out and test for themselves. So when you, just a question came to mind there. When you talk about like learning how to read people, hmm. is there anything you can do to stop people reading you? No, because the thing is at the moment, people talk about and say, oh, am I making, am I judgmental of judging people? And I go, yes, I'm judging people. It's not judgmental. I ask everybody in the street who brings that up, and I go, right. When you saw somebody who reminded you of somebody who did the wrong thing by you in the past, what did you do? Oh, I pulled back. That was judgmental. You judged this new person on the behavior of somebody in the past. That's not a judgment. That's a judgmental situation. How often have you heard someone speak and everything sounded perfectly okay, but you had a gut feeling something was wrong? You didn't believe them. You didn't trust them. That can be because they unconsciously or consciously remind you of somebody who's done the wrong thing by you in the past, or that you've actually recognized the nonverbals that don't correlate to the words they've used. So you've realized that unconsciously they're not telling the truth. All I do is come along and teach you that. I also teach you that as far as the facial features go, and if you think about it, you lift weights, you're going to build muscles in your body. Repetitive movement of the bicep, you're going to grow the bicep. Everything we feel inside, we express outwardly. Put that together. As we're getting older, we keep pulling the same expression over and over when we're working and concentrating, and we create ridges and crevices on the face. The face is a roadmap of how we like to think and process, not what we're thinking and processing. So it's your personality, not your character. So when we start to realise that, I would like to everybody to be able to read me because if I look at somebody and I can read them, their personality, I know how to change the way I like to be spoken to to speak to them in the way that they want to be spoken to. And so that's being a respectful uh, way of reading them. The body language and the micro expressions, little twitches that tell me their emotions and whether they're telling the truth. In an interview, in an interrogation, in a investigation, that's gonna be turned on. But if I go to a business party, it's got, that part's gonna be turned off because everybody lies. But what's the purpose behind the life? They're telling me the fish was that big. Yeah, I already know it with a tadpole, you know, but yep, yep. as far as it goes, that they, you know, we tell stories, we embellish to those stories to make it fun, to have in, you know, make a, an enjoyable situation for everybody. So I turn that part on selectively, but the facial features I never turn off because that's the greatest way I can show respect to the other person is to understand them read them and then talk to them in the way that they want to be spoken to so that I can increase their enjoyment of that meeting with me. Well, that, that's been an eye opener for me, literally. And, you know, uh, because I, I didn't realize first off that, 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 you know, you see all the shows with profilers on, hmm. you know, CSI and all, all of those other things, but I didn't realize that, that it was actually a real thing until we met on a couple of calls. Uh, this has been a, a great session, Alan. I really appreciate your time and, value it um and thanks for joining the podcast thank you very much fred i really enjoyed it
Well, now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And right now, that's me, Fred Gillen, your host of More Marketing Ideas Podcast. Yes, just like you, I'm in business and I'm here to help. If you would like to have a free, no obligation consultation with me to see how I can work with you and your business to help you attract more clients, pre-qualify them and build your business, then simply reach out to me on Facebook Messenger at m.me forward slash more marketing ideas. So it's that easy. Just reach out. Let's get together and uh, see what we can do to help grow your business. It's Greg Gillen at More Marketing Ideas Podcast. Take care and have a great day.